0: Well, today all over our country, people are celebrating fathers and family. But I want you to imagine how you would feel if your family did not want you, did not want a relationship with you, did not want you to be part of their life. Imagine you're a small baby or a young child and your parents, your grandparents, none of them want you. In India... Among many of the Hindus, that happens to little girls all the time for a lot of different reasons. They prefer boys. A lot of baby girls are aborted before birth or if born, neglected to the point of dying while young. And in most of that country, there are more little boys than little girls, which is not the norm around the world, as you know. And uh, the situation is so bad That it's against the law in India for hospitals to reveal to parents prior to birth the sex of their child because the government is so concerned about parents aborting the child if they find out it's a little girl. A lot of these little girls are born unwanted and their parents and grandparents give them the name Nakusa which means unwanted. So imagine you're going through life and your name means unwanted, Nakusa, unwanted. And these little girls grow up feeling unloved. They grow up being bullied in school and laughed at quite a bit. Recently in one part of India, a local government official held a what he called a, a renaming ceremony. More than 280 young girls all the way up to age 20 participated they dressed up in their best clothing they fixed their hair they wore braids and everything and 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 and, and they came to that renaming ceremony and they were given a re- a name change certificate on which they could legally change their name to any name they chose the hope was to maybe give them some dignity to help restore some sense of self-esteem one five-year-old girl who participated was the third girl born to her family. They named her Nakusa Unwanted. And listen to what her dad said. He said, I, I didn't really care what we called her. Three girls is one too many. A little eight-year-old girl participated. Her mother said, when she was born, I did not like it. We were already burdened with four girls, and she was our filth. That little girl said she hated her name. She was picked on at school all the time. She said, I'm the only girl in school with this terrible name. And I'm hoping my new name will change everything. There's a woman who's now 32 years old, a teacher, very driven because of her experience. She was reflecting on her past, on her childhood. She'd been given the name Nakusa, Unwanted. And she said, I felt guilty about who I was all the time. When I used to introduce myself, people used to laugh at me. That's what I remember most, feeling really hurt about my name. Now imagine being a young child, and you know that your mom, your dad, your grandparents, your relatives, society, all of them call you Nakusa, unwanted, unloved. How would you feel? What would you think about yourself? What kind of opinion of who you are and your worth would you have? How would that impact your life and your attitude and the way you approach the future? See, being being wanted, being loved. And knowing you're wanted, knowing that you are loved, it matters. It matters a lot. It it shapes us. It influences us how we live and how we go about making decisions. And, And Christian, listen to me. Follower of Christ, listen to me. You are loved. And you are wanted. And you have worth and the one who says so is Jesus Christ that he loves you and he wants you to be part of his family he wants a relationship with you and and it matters and knowing that should influence you should shape you and how you go about living He's not ashamed of you. He's not ashamed to have you in his family. He's not ashamed to call you his disciple. And the Bible tells us that Jesus wants to honor his children. He wants to bless his children. And there are privileges which belong to us because we are part of his family. Would you open your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 2 because today... I want to help you understand who you really are and how understanding who you really are, that you're somebody that, that matters to God, that is loved by God, that is wanted by God to be part of his family, how knowing that and, and, and understanding that shapes your life and, and gives you the opportunity, the possibility of living out the destiny that God has for you. 1 Peter chapter 2, look with me at verse 9. Here's what he says about us as a group. You are a chosen race. Now notice this, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, in verse 10, but now you are the people of what? You're the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. God is saying, I want you to know who you really are. Own it, claim it, and then allow it to shape who you are and your future so you can fulfill the destiny God has for you. Let me, let me show you from this text how it all works. Now, we've been talking about destiny for the last few weeks. <clears throat> and, and we said <clears throat> that our future, our destiny is shaped in large measure by the things we say yes to and the things we say no to. By the decisions, the choices we make in life, that that God has a plan for us, but He's given us the freedom to to obey or disobey, and, and our decisions shape us. That today, what we do today, who we are today, goes a long way toward determining our future, our destiny, if you will. And last Sunday we talked about eternal destiny. Learning that there's really only only two destinies for people in eternity that are possible. One is heaven and the other is destruction, is hell, is suffering. Only two choices, only two destinies in eternity for, for every human being. Well today, I want us to, to look at the fact that God says, I, You're somebody, I've I've made you somebody. You need to know your name, know who you are. And as you move toward the eternal destiny that is yours because of your relationship with me on earth into here and now, between now and the time you reach heaven, your your eternal destiny, you need to fulfill the destiny I have for you on earth. And you cannot and you will not do that until you recognize and are proud of who you really are. And so let's look at how this works. Because in this chapter, and I could spend weeks just preaching this one chapter, Jesus is pictured as a a living stone or a rock. And, And the picture that's described in this chapter is as though you and I are making our way through life into the future. And every human being, at some point along that path in life, comes up against that rock, that living stone, Jesus Christ. It's like you're out on a path and suddenly there's an outcropping. Suddenly there's a stone in the path. And what he says in this chapter is that some people, when they come to that stone, to that living stone, to Jesus Christ, they trip over it and they fall. Others are offended by it. He said some reject it outright and try to destroy it. Others, others, he said, disobey what that stone, what Jesus, what his word says. They just make up their mind and deliberately, intentionally, knowingly say, I'm not going to obey the message, the word of this rock, of this living stone. See, Jesus is not dead. He's alive. He's a living stone. Then there are others, us, those who love Christ, We're we're making our way along the path of life to our eternal destiny in heaven because of our faith in Jesus. And we come to that living stone. We come to Jesus on that path. And we realize his value, his beauty, how precious he is. And the Bible says we believe what he says. And what happens is this the way a person responds to the stone, to the living stone of Jesus Christ on the path of their life determines their life determines their destiny determines whether the stone is one that breaks them or blesses them so look at verse 4 Chapter 2, verse 4, he says Jesus is a living stone, been rejected by men. But how does God view Jesus? Precious, valuable, a choice stone, a special stone. Verse 5, we're living stones. Everyone who's a believer, we're living stones, and, and God is putting all these living stones, Jesus being the foundation stone, and he's adding to this temple, this temple of God that he's building, the body of Christ, the family of God, all the believers, we're all individual living stones being stacked together to make one impressive temple to the glory of God with Jesus being the foundation stone in which all of it arises. Then in verse 6, God said he laid the cornerstone, the foundation stone, a precious stone, talking about Jesus. And in the middle of verse 6, the one who believes in him, who believes in this cornerstone, this this living stone of Jesus Christ will not be disappointed or some Bibles say will not be put to shame. In other words, if along the path of your life you you come upon Jesus, it's, it's when you encounter Jesus, you encounter this living stone. And when that day comes and you look at that living stone, you look at Jesus Christ and you say, He's beautiful. He's precious. He's valuable. And I believe in Him. God is saying, if that's the the way you respond, when you come upon that living stone, you will not be disappointed. You will never be ashamed because time will reveal that He really was the foundation of life. So don't be disappointed and ashamed while you're still traveling because one day everybody's going to realize he really is who he said he is. You'll not be disappointed. You'll not be let down. You'll never be ashamed because he is the living stone, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Well, in verse 7, This precious valuable stone to those who believe. But what about those who disbelieve? Those who come across the stone of Jesus on the path of life and choose not to believe? The one the 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 builders rejected that stone. Now he's not real. He's he's not who he said he was. He's not he's not valuable. What they're going to discover in life and on the judgment day is that the very stone they rejected, the very cornerstone they rejected is in all reality the only cornerstone. They're going to be surprised that everything they thought was wrong, that every decision they made in relation to Christ was foolish. Verse 8, to them he's a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They trip and fall over him. And they stumble because they were disobedient to the word. Jesus speaks through scripture, speaks through his people. He speaks through the Holy Spirit. He speaks to people's hearts about truth and about life and about death and about eternity and about sin and about forgiveness. And those who are disobedient to his word, they stumble. And because they stumble, they fall to their doom that, to which they were appointed. Now, it's not the individual who is appointed to doom, they stumble because they disbelieve. And what God has determined ahead of time is that if you believe, you become part of this group, his family. And his family is destined to all this glory. If you disbelieve, you are destined then to become part of this other group that trips and falls and doomed is doomed. And what God has determined is the destiny of the two groups. Because listen, brothers and sisters, every description, every title in this text is in the plural. He's talking about the groups and the destiny of the groups, not which individual becomes which part, but part of which group. But what is the destiny of each group? Those who reject, those who disbelieve, are destined to doom. It's already determined. Listen, the judgment day, hear this, the judgment day is not God measuring everybody's life and then determining which group you're in. The judgment day is simply God announcing what is already a reality and the destiny of the two groups is already set and determined and fixed. But which group you're a part of is your choice. You either believe the stone or you reject the stone. And that determines which group you end up in it's like you get on an airplane up here at Charlotte Douglas that airplane already has a, a you know a course charted it's going to a destination the group you put yourself in by your choice already has a destination a destiny so so he he's he's saying here's this living stone Jesus and people are traveling through life and they encounter him and they either believe or they don't believe and those who don't believe they fall to their doom. That's the destiny of all that group. Then verse 9. Look at verse 9 again. But you, and in the Greek it's emphatic, it's very powerful, it's strong. But you, you're different. You're, you're not part of that group. You, you have a different destiny. You're different. You're different. You, you become God's special people. A chosen race. Royal priesthood. All of these are plural. See, I, I, I'm different because I'm part of this group. You're different because you're part of this group. This group is different than that group. This group has a different destiny than that group. This group made a different decision about Jesus than that group. This group has a different view of who Jesus is than that group. And by the way, these titles in verse 9, chosen race royal priesthood etc all of these as I said are in the plural but do you know all of these are titles that in the Old Testament were used to refer to the nation of Israel every one of them multiple times look in Exodus chapter 19 verses 5 and 6 the verses will be on the screen look at this Moses is on Mount Sinai and God is giving him the Ten Commandments establishing His covenant relationship with the the nation of Israel. And God says, Moses, tell them this. If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then, it was conditional. People always want to forget that part. Then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples. For all the earth is mine. Does that sound like what we just read a moment ago in, in verse 10 in 2 Peter? Look at verse 6. And you shall be to me a kingdom of. Priest and a, a holy nation. Multiple times in Exodus and Deuteronomy, those descriptions are used for the nation of Israel. He's speaking to the whole nation, the whole nation, the whole nation of Israel, his people, all the descendants, his people by blood birth. He didn't select individual Jews, he selected the whole Jewish people as his people by blood birth. Deuteronomy chapter 10 verses 14 and 15 you need to understand this to fully understand who you are as a follower of Christ. Behold to the Lord your God belong heaven and the highest heavens the earth and all that is in it. Everything in the universe God created is all His. Now look at verse 15. Yet out of the whole universe, God, it's all his. Out of, out of everything, out of, out of every group, yet, on your fathers. Now, Moses talking to the Jewish people of his day, referring to the Jewish people before his day. Yet on your fathers did the Lord set his affection to love them, and he chose their descendants after them, even you above all peoples as it is to this day. And so Moses is saying God chose the Jewish people. God chose the nation of Israel to be his people. It's the group. It's not the individuals. It's the group. Distinct from the rest of the world. Now Deuteronomy chapter 14 verse 2. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God and the Lord has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Does that sound like Peter? Absolutely. Absolutely. So out of all the people groups on the planet, God said he chose the nation of Israel. And now you come to the New Testament. And God says, he placed this rock, this foundation stone And those who don't stumble over it, those who don't stumble over Jesus, those who don't reject Jesus, those who believe Jesus, those who view Jesus as precious become what? His people. The church. Fulfilling the destiny, fulfilling the purpose for which God had originally created Israel to make his name known in the world. There are other passages in the New Testament that say essentially the same thing. But you and I are not part of this group because we're born into a particular family or a particular ethnicity or a particular country. We're part of this group because individually we choose faith in Christ. We choose to believe the living stone and thus we become living stones who are added to the other living stones building the temple of God in which He dwells. And so let's go back to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. He says we're a chosen race. Some Bibles say a chosen people. King James, a chosen generation. A group distinct from all of humanity. That's not based on ethnicity or the color of someone's skin, but upon faith in Jesus Christ, the living stone. God said, I choose this group to be my group, to be my people. And everyone who's in that group, everyone who's a believer is my people, a royal priesthood. Priest serving the king of kings, serving him. That's the reason earlier in chapter 2 we offer up spiritual sacrifices by our service, serving him, mediating his blessings to the world. The ability to approach Him and be in His presence. Do you remember Hebrews chapter 10 verses 19 and following? But you look at this, brethren, since we have, notice this, we have confidence to enter the holy place in the Old Testament. The high priest was the only one who could go into the holy place, and he could only do it one day a year on the Day of Atonement. But now everyone who's a part of this group, the people of God, because they have believed in Jesus the living stone, every one of us, each and every one of us, because we're part of this group, this whole family has the privilege to have the confidence to walk into the very holy place, into the very throne room of God. Why, we're his kids. And when there's family and there's love, like somebody loves that baby, you know what? Children never have to be afraid to walk up to a loving dad or mom, do they? Who are you? (laughs) You're God's family. You're part of the family. Because of your faith in Christ, confidence to enter the holy place, he said, therefore let us draw near, don't run away, run to him. Don't hide in shame, come to him, come to him, because that's who you are, and it's your privilege as a believer in Christ. A holy nation back in second Peter, first Peter chapter two, verse nine, a holy nation. Referring to our moral holiness, yes, but the word, the root word, the basic meaning of this word is is to be separated to God, to be dedicated to God. Set apart for His service and His use. See, we're, we're a holy nation, listen, belonging to God, not because we live within any geographical boundary or border, The, the, the nation that, that is the family of God has people of every skin color, every ethnicity, every cultural background, every part of the planet, every century in history. It's, it's not about geographical boundaries and ethnicities. It's about the blood of Christ. And when we believe in him and his crucifixion and resurrection, we become families. It's, it's the blood of Jesus that makes us family, he says in chapter 1 of 1 Peter. It's, it's not the blood that, that flows through our veins like in the Old Testament with the nation of Israel. It's the blood of Jesus that makes us part of this group and our destiny is heaven and our destiny is to live like the people of God. And so he, he, he ends it in the middle of verse 9 by saying we are a people for God's own possession. The Hebrew word, the, the, the word here, this Greek word rather, literally means to draw a circle around something and claim ownership. God, God, God has drawn a circle around this group this, this group of people who believe in the living stone Jesus, this, this group of people who didn't reject the living stone Jesus, this group of people who didn't stumble and weren't offended by the living stone Jesus, he draws a circle around this group and he says, this group is my group. And if you're in this group, you're mine. And don't let anybody tell you differently. brothers and sisters, listen to me. If you're a follower of Christ, a believer in Christ, you're in this group, which means you're different than the rest of the world. That's the reason the old King James translated the word peculiar. Peculiar means something different now than it did 400 years ago. Now it means strange. Back then it meant separate and unique. and Distinct not weird. But we are different. The rest of the world out there is not like this group. The rest of the world, their attitude toward Christ, the way they view Christ, what they think about Christ's words and what He says and what He teaches, it's not like this group. This group is different. If you're part of this group, you're different. And what what I want to encourage you to do this morning is this. I want you to say, I'm glad I'm different. (laughs) I'm glad I belong to this group. I want you to own it, claim it. I want you to be humble and loving, but be proud to be in that group. Don't be ashamed to be in that group. Know who you are and the difference that it makes. Turn to somebody and say, I'm different, I'm glad. Go ahead, tell them right now, I'm different, I'm glad. Because if you're ashamed of who you are, I got excited, didn't I? <laughs> if you're ashamed, listen, if you're ashamed of who you are, if you're ashamed to be in this group, well, what does that say? Your, your God, your God gave you a name, and it wasn't Nakusa, unwanted. Your God gave you a name, and he said, you're my holy nation. <laughs> you're my royal priest. You're my own people and, 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 and possession. You're my. I love you, and I want you. Don't be ashamed of that, brothers and sisters. Well, let me wrap this up. He said, now, once you know who you are, And and you know your destiny in eternity is is to be part of my family in heaven. You need to understand what your destiny down here is, what you're supposed to be doing down here, what your mission, your purpose down here until that day really is. And it's found at the end of verse 9. He said, so that, all of this is true, so that, in order that, you may may proclaim the excellencies. Some Bibles translate it praise, but excellencies is a better translation. Of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Talking about all of the excellent qualities of God. All of the beautiful things about his character and his nature. All the magnificent things he's done for you in calling you from darkness to light. From lostness to salvation. From hell to heaven. Talk about him. Talk about him. Talk about him. And listen brothers and sisters. You do that. Uh, When you worship and sing praises, you you do that when you live out in the public arena, a godly life that gives honor to Jesus. You do that when you open your mouth and invite people to church and tell them about Jesus and share your testimony and your story. And listen, every time you and I are silent, we, we, we come to church, but we don't worship, we don't praise, we don't sing, we just sit and we just watch. Every time we're silent because out there in the, in the public arena we don't live like a family member, like a, a child of God. Every time we're silent because we never invite anybody to church and, and we never tell anybody what Jesus has done for us and, and we never talk to lost people about how great He really is and how much He loves them and, and wants them to be in the family. Every time we're silent in all those ways, we are a failure. Failure. Failing to live up to who we really are. Failing to fulfill the destiny God's given us, the purpose he's given us in this life. Failing to act like who we truly are and sometimes instead acting like people over in this group. Your destiny in life is to live and worship and witness and talk and decide like somebody who belongs to this group. And until you own that, that that's who I am and I'm not ashamed of it and I'm proud of it and I'm glad to be in, until you own that, you will continue to spiritually struggle. Part of your destiny is to honor him, the one who made you part of that group by calling you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Let me close with this story. Ken Elzinga, since 1967, has been an economics professor at the University of Virginia. Back in the late 60s, he was a new believer. A tenured colleague told him not to say much publicly about his faith because it would hurt his career. (laughs) Well, you get that, don't you, in today's world? Even more so than then. There was a Christian ministry on campus, a student group that asked him to speak one night, and he agreed. But he was horrified one day to see a flyer on a prominent bulletin board on campus with his picture name announced that he was speaking to this Christian group and he wondered, oh, what's this going to do to me getting tenure? And so that night, he snuck back on campus and took the flyer down. Couldn't sleep. Did some real soul searching. He struggled all night. That next morning, he went back and Put the flyer back on the bulletin board. He decided that he could not be private about his faith. And today he says that now listen, serving one master is liberating. Because when you serve one master, you don't worry about pleasing everybody. When you serve one master, you feel secure. And by the way, multiple times over the years since, he's been named Professor of the Year at University of Virginia. (laughs) God says, I'm not ashamed of you. I know who you are. You're mine. Don't you be ashamed of me. Know who you are. Talk like it. Decide like it, live like it, worship like it, witness like it, know who you are and be glad to be in this group, brothers and sisters.